Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the WWE Survivor Series War Games 2022 Instant Analysis Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are convening just minutes after WWE Survivor Series War Games went off the air to break down everything that happened on the final WWE main roster premium live event of 2022. Vintage Chris Vanini is along for the ride, and he will be on the mic momentarily after I remind you that this show is so please, folks, especially on Thanksgiving weekend. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein Vintage Chris Vanini Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little time. Leave a written five-star review as well. And if you do, we will read it live right here on the podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We tweet live during every major event. We post pre- and post-show polls so your voice can be heard on this podcast. We do live shows on Twitter spaces, and we tweet news, videos, GIFs, and everything in between. So please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, it is late on Saturday night, and we are trying to get this WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis done as expeditiously as possible. So I wanted to cut the intro short, but on these instant analysis episodes, we do something a little bit different. The Silver King Vintage, we crack open a cold one. That way we can relax a little bit and enjoy while we tape the show in the late night hours. So allow me to go ahead and start that off. And tonight, uh, Chris and I are both deviating from what we normally do. The Silver King, as you know, is a craft beer man. Unfortunately, stomach's been acting up a little bit, so I am drinking a hard seltzer instead. Cigar City Seltzer, uh, Cigar City Brewery in Tampa, Florida, arguably the best brewery in the Sunshine State. This is a key lime flavor, which happens to be my favorite flavor of anything that's fruity. Key lime is delicious. So that's what I'm drinking. Uh, Chris is not drinking much of anything except for good old h2o is that correct yeah i've got a water and a coke with me as well um it's saturday is it a We've tony Khan coke or a coca-cola uh just regular coca-cola here it, regular it's coca-cola. saturday it's college football saturday you and i have been working mm-hmm. uh, all day into the night 16 hours so far, perhaps right? perhaps still needing to do some more work after this uh podcast which is why i'm yes. not in a spot to be drinking plus i got to get up early tomorrow because this is the absolute worst possible weekend for a pro wrestling show. Please do not do this again, uh, yeah. Triple H, if you're listening. This is a bit of a reprieve for us uh, in the, <laughs> I was going to say in the middle of a workday, at the end of an extremely long workday as part of an extremely long work weekend. But we get the opportunity to dive in here and discuss a little WWE for you. So look, let's not waste any time. Let's get right to the instant analysis of WWE Survivor Series War Games, we're going to go over everything that went down on the card, notable things that happened on the go-home show, SmackDown, this past Friday night. And at the very end of the show, we will remind you what our pre-show expectation grades were, and we will give final grades for Survivor Series War Games. Chris, before we get into the first matches, I just want to, as a little bit of an overview of the entire show, we frequently do this when we do the instant analysis. 
Um, I really like the atmosphere in terms of the way everything was set up, the look, the production, the war games, cages, the way the ring looked, that whole thing was nails. But I got to say, to my utter shock and surprise, this Boston crowd left a lot to be desired. It popped for Becky Lynch, the United States Championship match, and the men's war games, primarily the final minutes of that match. Otherwise, it was relatively awful for most of the women's war games, AJ Styles and Finn Balor barely got excited for, and Ronda Rousey Shotzi, I don't think anyone could get excited for, so I don't necessarily blame them for that. But what was ultimately so disappointing about this is WWE legitimately sold out the TD Garden. 15,000 fans. Every regular ticket was sold. They had to open more. The suites were sold out. It was the largest gate ever for WWE in Boston and the highest grossing Survivor Series of all time. And yet so many fans just sat on their hands and were quiet throughout the entire show. And I know it wasn't because the show was, was bad because Survivor Series was not bad at all. So I was just shocked by it. Maybe it was the holiday weekend, a lot of casual fans. But at the end, they were so hot for the finish. I was just shocked at the way the crowd reacted to the show. And I don't necessarily know that I can make sense of it. I honestly didn't notice the crowd one way or the other. Admittedly, I was watching kind of three things at the same time as it was going on. But but, you know, to sell out the to sell the arena like they did and everything that probably means they're not going to change and will do it again on Black Thanksgiving Saturday again next year just because of that success in terms of the look and everything. Uh, it's it's always just it's just it's naturally awkward when you have matches take place in one ring and there's just an empty ring sitting over there. The cameras try to do as good a job as they can to to not show that. But that's just kind of always an awkward, natural part of the setup when you're doing war games. At least, you know, when two of your five matches are war games matches, it's not as uh, big of a deal. Uh, but uh, no, it was it was a good look. Uh, good to see the good crowd and everything. As for the crowd noise, I just I didn't really have a reaction one way or another. It's also very, very difficult to schedule a show from like a match planning standpoint when you're beginning and ending with war games. And then in between, you have to figure out how do I, you know, put this match here so it doesn't get trashed, which one will survive, which one won't. Very, very difficult job uh, for WWE and Triple H to match plan this show. In many ways, they succeeded. There was one notable mistake that we will get to. So Chris, with that, let's officially get into the WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis. We're going to kick things off with the main event, the men's War Games match, the bloodline against the Brawling Brutes, Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. Now, before we get to the match itself, we have to discuss what happened on SmackDown because so much led into this match. So on SmackDown, Sami Zayn was about to enter the Bloodline locker room when Kevin Owens intercepted him. Zayn told him to leave, but KO asked, hey, Sami, what happens when you do everything you're supposed to do, but you make one mistake that pisses Roman Reigns or someone in the Bloodline off? Jay Uso ends up cracking the door to the locker room so we can listen to their conversation. Owens pointed out how Reigns treats his own blood, saying if he was Zayn, he would strike first and turn on the Bloodline. Jay burst through the door after KO left. And he asked Sammy, hey, have you spoken to someone already since getting here? But Sammy straight up lied to him, which pissed Jay off even more. Jay was later shown telling Jimmy everything that happened while getting extremely upset. I just thought this was a really smart way to give Jay 
some legitimacy to his concerns about Zane, even if they were previously unfounded. It was a really well done segment. It played into both the individual and the group storylines. My one problem with this is in 2022, Jimmy or anyone else could have just watched the footage. And Sammy right. should be smart enough to know that. So him lying to Jay at all was kind of nonsensical. Yeah, I, but credit to Sammy Zane, though. Like, he lied, like, just perfectly. Just the acting, like the pausing and then the no. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, it was like a little thing. But he did such a good job of, like, thinking whether or not he should lie and then lying. Like, you, it, it felt like real life. It felt like how a normal person would respond in that situation. And as he later said, it wasn't so much lying as it was omitting information, which it's a thin gray line. And a lot of people will argue that's still lying, especially people in relationships. But nevertheless, he did draw a distinction between the two. So that led us to the main event of SmackDown, which was the Usos against Sheamus and Drew McIntyre for the War Games advantage. No title on the line. Uh, Drew caught Jimmy running with a Glasgow kiss. Sheamus hit 10 beats on Jay. McIntyre hit Jimmy with a Claymore and ate a superkick as neither were legal. Sammy took a shot on a distraction. Solo Sokoa distracted with Zayn throwing Sheamus off the ropes, but Sheamus kicked out of a Nuso splash. The teams brawled. McIntyre hit a huge tope on Hero. Owens then stopped Zayn from using a championship title. Sammy stole it back and then got ejected from ringside. That gave KO an opening to actually run into the ring and cheat. He had a stunner on Jay behind the referee's back. Jay then ate a bro kick as the faces won the advantage for war games. Jay stared daggers into Sammy as SmackDown went off the air. So this just doubled up on the storyline, right? It created a scenario where Sammy cost the bloodline the advantage. War games is usually best, these war games matches, when the heels have the advantage and, and the faces have to come from underneath as underdogs. But in this situation, the baby faces winning the advantage allowed Roman Reigns to enter last and wreck shit. At least that's what I assumed was going to happen uh, when I wrote this note. So this was expected. The face is winning. My one concern is why Zayn would even consider falling back into trusting Owens, especially given all the times that KO has turned on him. And it's clear if you're Sammy, who's very smart, that KO is in the process of costing him the bloodline relationship that he's built up for so long. Now, we had time to see that all play out. But this match was a lot of fun. The result made sense, especially in the confines of the storyline. Yeah, and I'm fine with the bloodline not having the advantage there because they have all the belts. Like, they are the big bad thing. You needed to put some sort of doubt in your mind that the bloodline might lose. And Mm -hmm. by taking away the advantage, theoretically, uh, you do that. So it, it made perfect sense here. Like, normally the heels get the advantage. But when the heels are all powerful, that's when you go the other way. So moving over to Survivor Series War Games, there were two backstage segments in this storyline that preceded the match itself. Reigns was backstage. He let Jay have his ear. Jay reminded Roman that he had previously said Sammy could not be trusted, and he blamed Sammy directly for them losing the advantage, saying the only reason he didn't beat his ass on SmackDown is that Reigns didn't give the order. Roman looked really pissed off, saying he would look Sammy in the eye and know everything as soon as he did that. When Reigns confronted Sammy later, he called him into the Bloodline locker room. Sammy immediately admitted speaking to Owens. He said he lied to Jay because there was a lot on Jay's plate with the advantage matchup coming, and Jay already didn't trust Sammy, so why should he put further doubt in his mind? Then Sammy clarified that KO spoke to him and left. He didn't reciprocate the conversation. Reigns seemed to understand everything, but he said the Bloodline is family, 
and he needed to know 100% that Sammy is loyal. Sammy pledged himself again to the bloodline and Reigns, and then he nearly cried, recognizing how rare it is for him to be accepted by Reigns, by this family, and he promised he would never let him or the bloodline down. Roman stared at him for a little bit, then he rose to smile, he hugged Sammy, but while he was hugging him, he gave a stern look that the camera caught. Now, before the match, Jay also asked Roman, I said two segments, it was actually three. Jay asked Roman if Sammy lied to him when he had the face-to-face conversation. And Reigns was vague in his reply. He said that he looked Zayn in the eye and he saw everything he needed to see. I found all of this to be incredibly interesting. It goes back to what I just said in that Reigns could have just watched the footage and then asked Sammy right. about it and known the right. truth while he was having the conversation with him. But okay, you want to suspend disbelief? That's fine. Uh, well, Zane, I, I, I think he, I think he wanted Sammy to admit it. Sure, like, but like I mean, at the same say. time, he, like he he knew he the should answer. have known. He needed, to hear, he needed to make Sammy say it. He should have said to Paul Heyman at some point, like, "Hey, we saw that, Paul. Thanks for sending me the footage. Let's see what Sam, if Sammy admits it, right? Like, like just sure. It's very clear that it's it's 2022, and you're able to get that footage. It's not that difficult. Um, but again, Zane was certainly believable in his conversation with Reigns. The audience knows what his intentions are, that they're pure. And seeing Roman get serious at the end was enough of a little tease to know, hey, you know what? Maybe things aren't all hunky-dory, at least in the long term. I loved that they did this on the premium live event. There were only five matches on this show, and they made the men's War Games match really feel like two matches because it got so much time to develop a storyline and then play it out during the match itself. Yes, I, I like that whole setup. I like getting multiple segments with them throughout the show. This is how you tell a story throughout a pay-per-view, just like a regular episode of Raw. So it was a great uh, build up heading into the match to kind of set even more on the table. All right. So let us finally get to the main event itself. Uh, the faces came out first. Uh, the bloodline came out as an entire faction and the camera shot of them entering was just fantastic. Solo immediately turned. He stared the faces down outside their cage as Roman gave Jay the nod and a long hug, basically telling him you're going to go first. So Reigns sat in the corner of his cage while everyone else, both in the women's match and the other competitors in the men's match all stood. He was the only one that somehow had a stool or a chair or something in there. Guy looked like an absolute boss. Butch kicked things off with Jay. Holland came in second. Uh, he destroyed Jay with a ton of running corner splashes, plus a high low with Butch. Jimmy was ready to enter second, with Roman instead pulling him back into the cage and sending a surprised Sami Zayn instead. Sami was basically forced to team with Jay. That was the point of doing that. They worked together for a little bit. Then they argued with Butch moonsaulting them off the cage. McIntyre came in and dominated them both with a future shock DDT to Zayn before Jimmy grabbed three tables. Jay shoved Sammy while they were arguing over a table with Jimmy eventually splitting them up. McIntyre hit two Glasgow kisses as Owens brought in chairs to hit the Usos. He nailed Jay with a cannonball and a swanton. Then he threw chairs literally at both Usos heads. When Zayn rose, they ended up standing off, but not scrapping. Owens put Jimmy through a table before Solo cleaned house. KO and Solo brawled in the middle with Sokoa no-selling a cage shot and two super kicks as Owens then ate a back body drop onto the steel grate with Solo and Drew then laying each other out. Sheamus was next to get in. He went on a total run. The great avalanche white noise on Sokoa. 
Reign sauntered down last and regrouped the bloodline on, on one ring, specifically giving Jay a hand up as the teams stood off from each other. Reigns struck every single member of the faces. He had a Superman punch on Sheamus before all the faces did 20 to 25 beats between the rings against all the bloodline guys in like a very choreographed spot. Reigns dodged a bro kick with Sokoa eating it for him, only to hit a spear on Sheamus for a broken fall. Zayn beat down Butch and screamed at him on Reigns' behalf for breaking that fall. Butch ducked as they brawled, with Jay accidentally super kicking Sammy right in the face, which got a huge crowd reaction. Jimmy looked infuriated at him. Roman noticed while he was on the canvas. The Usos then took Butch out with an avalanche 1D with both of them standing on the top rope. They double super kicked Holland with Rain spearing him through a propped up table. Sokoa took McIntyre out with spinning solo through a table. KO then stunned Sokoa on a broken fall with Reigns and Owens eventually standing off in what we thought were the final two. They smacked the shit out of each other to start. Owens countered a spear. Reigns countered a stunner and hit a Superman punch. Owens countered a spear and hit a pop-up powerbomb and a stunner. And it looked like he might get the one, two, three when Sami Zayn flew in out of nowhere and grabbed the referee's arm to stop the count in a false finish. Fans chanted Sami Uso very loud. Owens asked Zayn, is this your family? Is this what you're really doing? While he was grabbing Reigns' lifeless head, just holding it, almost like it was detached from his body. Then KO caught a super kick from Jimmy. Sammy had to make a split-second decision, low-blowed KO, pushed him into the corner, kneeled in front of Reigns. Roman finally woke up and nodded at him. Zayn immediately drilled Owens with a haluva kick and then threw him down, prone on the canvas, and pointed at him as Jey Uso briefly hesitated, then climbed the ropes and hit the Uso splash for the one, two, three with the bloodline winning in 38 minutes. And then after the bell, Reigns opened his arms wide with Zayn running into him for a hug. Roman <sighs> nodded, pat him on his back and smiled. Jay then gave Sammy not one, not two, but three huge bear hugs as the crowd popped massive. Jimmy dapped him up with their handshake. We didn't really see what happened with Solo because they cut to uh, replays, but he did stand next to Zayn in the finish of the show. And Reigns lastly stood over Owens, staring down at him as the show ended with Zayn once more pledging his loyalty to Roman Reigns and the bloodline. Chris, Ooh. there's really only so many words that can be used to praise things and praise professional wrestling. And I try to rotate them on the show. I'll say something tremendous or incredible or excellent, brilliant. You pick the word. This match story and this finish to War Games was all of them. And you know what? Fuck it. It was stupendous. Okay? This was stupendous. They set up the pins on SmackDown. They knocked down eight of them throughout the show and then hit a 7-10 split in the finish. It was brilliant storytelling. Jay's distrust in Sammy grew further. We got the red herring with Reigns. Jay not trusting Sammy in the match. Sammy saving Jay. He pulled him out uh, away from the cage as he was about to take a shot at one point. He saved Roman. He turned on KO. He allowed Jay to get the win as a clear olive branch. Reigns seemingly made Sammy a permanent ooze. Jay fully accepted him for the first time ever. And they are really actually weaving not one, but two storylines together because there's a two-year-old bloodline story and a decade-long Owens-Zane story. How the hell 
does anything get better than this? Well, beyond that, the match was laid out perfectly. They created the Sammy J odd couple, Jimmy as the peacemaker, Sokoa as the difference maker, Owens as the snag in the wheel, and Reigns as the final boss. You also had Reigns, who remained completely knocked out with his eyes closed after the stunner, basically selling that had it not been for Zayn, Reigns would have taken his first pin in however many years. And then you had the Zayn Huluva kick hug spot with Owens, a direct callback to them in NXT. Look, could the wrestling have been better? Sure, yeah, they could have done better work in the ring. There were fewer big spots than the women's match, both hardcore spots and otherwise. But this was completely storyline driven. And in that, it was executed perfectly. Round of applause in particular for Sammy, KO, Jay, and Roman. This was one of the best individual match stories and finishes in wrestling history. I'm going 4.75 stars and an A+. And when I rewatch it tonight, there's a very good chance I'm at five stars come Tuesday show. The word I would use to describe that match is cinema. <laughs> like that's Cinematic. movie type yeah. storytelling, everything, everything that they did there. That's what wrestling is about. Not about crazy moves or whatever. Like those feelings you have when someone is faced with a decision and you hope they'll make the right decision and they don't and they go to the dark side or do whatever that is. And it was just, it was tremendous. And it was exactly what I predicted. I, I, I thought that Sami Zayn would fully join the bloodline in, in making this decision here. And, and that's what he did. And you kind of laid it all out. Not, not only were the stories of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn with bloodline, but there's a story of, of Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns and, and even McIntyre and Reigns for a minute there. There's so much going on here. This is why we were so excited about this match coming in. And you knew it was going to deliver, and it absolutely did. This was just such good shit. Such good shit. Exactly, exactly. Just every single week, every month with this storyline, it just takes another step. This is just, you're right, one of the best stories told in pro wrestling history over Two years. I mean, we think about Roman Reigns coming back. We think about the Jey Uso feud he did, bringing the Usos in. There's just always another step forward. It never feels stale. And, and in the post-match uh, press conference that they did, which we'll get into more later probably, Paul Heyman basically said, he's like, Sami Zayn brought something to this story that nobody else could. He was the everyman, basically. He, he, he He's not part of the royal family so to speak he's the person who gives everybody in the audience hope that one day they can kind of be at that level and it, it was kind of kayfabe kind of real at the same time and this is exactly what it is it's why Sami Zayn is so good at what he does he makes everything work and he's taking everything about this to another level yeah what Paul Heyman uh, said was that uh, first of all he put it over Sammy huge like just praised him endlessly he said that Zayn's character is basically like the audience member who gets a chance to participate in the show, but does so good that he becomes a permanent cast member. And you could tell how touched Sami Zayn was, not necessarily from that comment, but all of the praise that Paul gave him. But before we get to the press conference or anything else, you know, I want to talk about this storyline as a whole, because we've said this before, but now more than ever, I am positive that this will go down as one of the top storylines 
in the history of professional wrestling. And I don't say that to exaggerate in any way. It's undoubtedly for me, the single best storyline of this modern generation of wrestling, which for me is kind of post ruthless aggression era. And you know what? Maybe even including it to some degree. And this is coming from someone who went head over heels for Kofi Mania, who loved the Daniel Bryan B-plus player storyline, the rise of the man Becky Lynch. There's been numerous things that WWE has done incredibly well over the last few years. But this, it is just at another level, and it's doing it week to week. And what's crazy about it, Chris, is there are still so many different twists and turns that this can take. And we think we know where it's going, but you know what? We don't. And who knows how long this is going to go. For example, what if Reigns sees the way Zayn turned on Owens and says, well, this guy's untrustworthy. How can, if he's going to turn on his best friend of decades, how can I trust him? What if Jay becomes Sammy's biggest proponent and advocate all of a sudden, only to have Jimmy or Solo begin doubting him? I am more into this bloodline storyline than ever before. And you know what, Chris? If you told me today that Reigns would hold this championship for another year, I might not be that mad about it. I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm not trying to put that out there in the universe. But holy shit, if it's going to be this good, you're going to find me hard-pressed to get angry if that's a decision they make. This moment with Sami Zayn and the bloodline it felt like the middle of a storyline, not the beginning of the end of one. And when WWE gets it right, it gets it right. Right now in professional wrestling, there is no one B to this one A. It is one of one from a storytelling perspective. The work that Sami Zayn, Jey Uso, and Roman Reigns are doing in particular is completely unmatched. And I am so happy that I'm along for the ride. And you know what? I'm really happy that we have this podcast and we get to discuss this on a week-by-week, month-by-month basis. This is really the complete opposite of LOL Cena wins or LOL mm-hmm. Roman wins, like some people thought for a bit. This is Yeah, Roman wins every single time, but there's always a story behind it and a story that's advanced. That's what makes it good wrestling. It can be... A, this is why it doesn't feel like it's been more than a two-year championship run. It still feels fresh when Roman comes out and that music hits because there's something different to it every couple of months. That's that's why this works. It hasn't been like he's just he's he's the top guy of the company and he's been the champ forever. But it's just it's not boring. And that's that's the sign of make it work. And you're right. If Roman was the champ for another year, I think they could make something work and I'd be cool with it. It's why I'm not it's why people are still cheering for Roman after all this. You'd think they'd be sick of him by now. The heels won this and they got a massive ovation. All of them. Well, part of it, part of it was Sammy, but part of it was they're just, they're generally popular. It's not normal that someone will hold the belt for this long. You'll get sick of them at some point. They're not on TV every week. Roman isn't. And yet people are excited because they've told a great story. That's what this is all about. Yeah. One other cool note from uh, the Sammy Zane press conference before we move on. He said that Survivor Series 1997 in Montreal was his first ever wrestling show that he attended. And then he's looking back on it tonight, 25 years later, he not only main evented, but was the featured act 
on the exact same show. That is absolutely wild. And there's a lot of people who have been major Sami Zayn fans from day one in NXT. And I'll admit, I liked him a lot. Talented in the ring, great character actor, um, great foil for Kevin Owens. Was always a fan in NXT going to the main roster. I never considered him among my favorites. Just wasn't necessarily my pure white meat babyface cup of tea, which is what he had been doing largely in NXT. And those fans that have been with him from the very beginning, and some even further than that, from El Generico back in the independence, to see what he is doing now, what he's accomplishing, he is arguably, next to Roman Reigns, the number two protagonist in WWE right now. It is an absolutely wild turn of events. And for Paul Heyman to give him his flowers, uh, for him to get featured the way he did with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, and for us to be talking about him the way we are now, I just got to give him as much praise as possible. He deserves this. Like the you deserve it chant, right? It's overplayed. And what's good is in WWE, we haven't heard that in a very long time. But if that chant was appropriate for anyone in a non-title situation, it's for Sami Zayn. He deserves every single thing that he is getting right now. And I, I don't, we don't know. I don't know if it started off like it was supposed to get to this point. I don't even know, quite yeah. remember how Sammy got involved, but there was a long period of time where they just had him doing nothing. Well, I, I'll tell you how it started, if you don't remember. And it has yeah, been a long yeah. time. You're right. Because he, he, so he was doing the conspiracy thing for a while, and he, 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 got, he made that interesting, and that kind of transitioned into this, I think. Well, he, he, was, he was doing the conspiracy theory angle for a very long time, and unfortunately, the one negative with Sami Zayn is WWE never produced the documentary film that we were promised with Sami yes. Zayn's conspiracies that he was supposed to release. So that was a, a huge uh, mistake that they had the cameraman following around and all that great shit. We never got it. That was terrible. But uh, Sami Zayn, he was doing the conspiracy theory thing. He had the Intercontinental Championship feud with Jeff Hardy and all everything that transpired with that. He eventually lost the championship. He went on a losing streak and he was searching for some way to become relevant again and to... Um, you know, restart the next era of his career after suffering so many losses, getting screwed over of, in his mind out of the Intercontinental Championship, numerous matches, championship opportunities, all that type of stuff. So he saw the bloodline as the most dominant faction on SmackDown. And he thought, if I can align myself with them, that will be the way to resurrect my career. And that's how everything started. And we went from that to now Sami Zayn main eventing Survivor Series War Games alongside Roman Reigns, a undisputed, you know, two-year champion, Jimmy and Jey Uso, the longest reigning tag team champions in WWE history, the entire familial faction, the arguably the greatest faction the WWE's had in decades. And Sami Zayn is the single most entertaining part of the entire thing. That's the genesis of it. Yep. And I, I do not think that started with the idea of, and by Survivor Series, he'll be the focus of the main oh, event. definitely not. I don't no. think that was the plan. That's a credit to Sammy. It's a credit to Sammy. It's a credit to Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns for recognizing what's going on. And over the last couple of months, where shit has really popped off in a major way, the credit, in addition to Paul Heyman, who's playing a large role, it also goes to Triple H. I yes. am a game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. All right. So that is 
our wrap-up of the men's war games. We still have four matches left on this card, and we're going to go right into the show opener. The women's war games match, Bianca Belair, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Mia Yim, and a surprise fifth entrant against Damage Control, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. So we're going to talk about what happened on SmackDown. And then, of course, we will get right to Survivor Series War Games. So SmackDown opened with Damage Control in the ring, and Bailey immediately demanding an answer from Bianca Belair. Very quickly, Becky Lynch made her return to a huge, huge, huge pop. Becky immediately charged to the ring. She elbowed Bailey in the face, and the women brawled. It was so typical Becky, just like going and hitting someone with her team saying, well, I guess we're fighting. And they all just took off and started beating the shit out of each other. Lynch took out Bailey. Then she stood off with Ripley. Later, backstage, Lynch said she's been wanting revenge on damage control over all four months that she was out. Of course, the blame is that they took her out with a shoulder injury, and now she's back for revenge. This was no doubt a hot moment. I don't want to get it twisted. Becky's return was huge. The crowd loved it. But for it to suddenly happen, like two to four minutes into SmackDown, it really, for me, left a lot to be desired. I'll say it again. I said it on our Tuesday Ultimate Preview. She should have returned either on Raw or at War Games. Simple as that. But she looked awesome, and her promo was really good. Yep, that was great. I didn't see it live. I went back and watched it, but but it was really solid. And on the return, to the point of the return date, again, in the press conference, somebody asked Becky, were you supposed to come back earlier or whatever? But then said, or did Bianca give you a call and ask you to come? That opened up the door for Becky to give some mix of real and kayfabe answer where she said she was in Ireland for her brother's 40th birthday. But Bianca gave her the call and sent her a jet and said, we need you. And so she came. So I don't I don't know. It didn't quite give us the actual answer of whether or not when she was originally supposed to show up or why she didn't. But would have been better for Monday. Maybe she couldn't make it. But it's good to see her back. Yeah, I mean, this was planned out. This was not certainly a sudden thing. She's apparently and seemingly been cleared for like over a month at this point. So it seems like they planned this out and they chose to do it in the way they did. I just I really think they botched the return just in terms of to maximize the impact and effect. Uh, You know, again, was it the worst thing in the world? No, the SmackDown crowd still gave her a really good response. Shockingly, Providence, Rhode Island. I'm not saying it's a bad crowd, but not one of the bigger cities they could have done it in. Uh, Nevertheless, you know, it worked. So we got Becky Lynch as the fifth member of the babyface team. So let's get to the War Games match. A reminder, the heels had the advantage here. They won that advantage, I believe, on Raw this past Monday. So this match opened with Belair and Kai. Michael Cole did a great job selling Dakota's War Games experiences the fourth time she's been in the match. Eosky showed out with a crossbody suicida between the rings. Before, like, glitching out while trying a Meteora in the corner, it was really strange. Asuka and Eo (laughs) had a great sequence. Nikki Cross threw in garbage can lids and kendo sticks and then slammed the door on Asuka's head. Before hitting a fireman's carry Mishinoku driver, which was a great move, Bliss came in, cleaned house with lids. Belair broke a kendo stick for no reason that I could tell. The women traded stick shots with Cross climbing up, sitting on top of the cage, manically laughing at everyone below. And then eventually deciding to jump off on a crossbody into the other five women. Bailey brought in two ladders and a table. Then she did a sunset flip powerbomb of Bel Air into the turnbuckles. Yim came in, added more weapons. The women all wound up in corners for a series of superplexes and avalanche suplexes. Uh, Ripley entered with the heels taking over. Yim threw a chair straight at her head and then hit a running cannonball into both her and the chair. 
uh, only to get caught in the ropes eventually and drilled with a garbage can lid five times. Becky cleaned house coming in last and hit a flying leg drop on Io, who was draped in a trash can around her body while hanging off the ropes. It was a great spot. Becky stood off with Bailey, and then she stood off with Ripley. Asuka misted Ripley in the face. Bailey hit Becky with Roseplant on the steel grate for a broken fall. The women all climbed in one corner for what would have been like a mega super duperplex. But Cross nailed Belair in the stomach with a kendo stick to stop the entire thing. And the crowd was really disappointed. They actually booed. But it would have been really dangerous if they actually tried to do that move. So it was really smart that they didn't. Uh, Bailey took a bad powerbomb to the back of her neck, but she seemed to be okay. Io hit a crazy moonsault off the top of the cage onto Belair and Yim. The crowd just did not react. I, I can't even explain that. Bianca looked to seriously hurt one of her knees. The referee was all over her. He radioed to the back, but she continued the match. Cross tried handcuffing Bliss onto the cage or rope, but Bliss instead locked the handcuff on Cross and then did an electric chair into a trash can, taking both of them out. Ripley put Yim through a ladder to counter a sleeper in a nasty spot. The ladder just split right in half. It was awesome. Uh, Becky and Belair went after damage control. Dakota flipped out of KOD, but immediately ate a manhandle slam. Io escaped the manhandle slam, but immediately ate a KOD. Belair put Io and Dakota on a table. Becky climbed all the way to the top. Belair hit Bailey with a KOD into the cage, which really didn't seem too effective. I don't know why they did that. And after she did that, Becky flew off the top of the cage for a spectacular double senton bomb through the table and the one, two, three on Dakota Kai in 40 minutes. This was exceptional, just an absolute banger. And what I thought was going to be an impossible match to try to meet or exceed for everyone else on the show. Becky showed zero rust and delivered the spot of the match in her second night back to WWE. The younger women, Io, Cross, Ripley, Dakota, Meechin, they all got to shine. Dakota was the clear MVP of the match. She sold her ass off. There was... I would say as much focus on the younger wrestlers than the veterans, if not more. The couple near injury spots, it did take you out for moments, but that happens in war games. Every war games I've ever seen, there's a couple moments like that. Actually, with the exception of the men's main event tonight, it was the one time that I've never seen like legitimate injury scares in this match. I loved the individual moments that we got with Asuka and Io, Becky and Ripley, Cross and Bliss, and many others. I thought it was tremendous bell to bell. On top of that, the right team won, and the right person won. You really couldn't ask for much more. It's an A match for me. I'm a little bit between 4.5 and 4.25. As with the men, I'm going to start on the lower end of the grade, 4.25 stars and an A. But I was super impressed with what the women put together. Yeah, this is probably the match of the night just from the wrestling excitement the spots and wrestling, like, yeah. without the story. Yeah, like, like it had... Lots of uh, several big spots. Like usually, you expect maybe one, but but there were a lot. Uh, these these all ten of these women really balled out. Uh, gave a great performance. Great to see Becky back. Kind of surprised they brought her back and immediately had her jump off the top of a cage. But uh, she said in the, she said afterward that her ass hurts. But uh, hopefully she's okay. Hopefully Bianca's okay. That's that's the danger of doing these matches and doing these big spots. Like you said, there's always an injury scare with these. I went to blood and guts for AEW, and 
uh, I think it was Santana who got injured. I think it was Santana, like, tore his quad, in, like, walking yeah, into the in ring. in that match. And he had to lay on the side of the cage for, like, 20 minutes. It, it was insane. It, these are violent and scary matches. They're not great to do. Triple H said that in the press conference. But you deliver on a moment like that, and, and, it, and, and it worked. And the right people won, and Bianca got the pin. I'm sorry, Becky got the pin like, like we expected. So uh, it all worked out. It was great. It did. Uh, you know, I don't actually have much more to say on this other than, you know, it's okay if Becky ends up kind of getting into a feud with Bailey because it does seem like that's what's coming here. There also seems to be a sub feud with Ripley, uh, with Becky. You know, she those are the two people that she squared off with. We got the look between Ripley and Bel Air two weeks ago, I want to say it was on Raw, a quick glance backstage. So there's a lot of teases on potential feuds upcoming. I think I'm okay with really any direction they go. As long as Bianca Belair is no longer feuding with damage control. Is it fair to say that? Yes. Like anything else they do is fine. As long as that is not part of it. Yes. I've been done with that for a long time and it probably will. Like you said, if we set up Becky Bailey, you know, the, the tag, the tag champs, Sky and Sky can go do their own thing. And Bianca was asked in the press conference who she'd like to fight at WrestleMania. She mentioned Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. I don't know if those are the next feuds for her. But I think we all figure it's trending in one of those two directions for Mania. Oh, man, if they go with Charlotte Flair at Mania instead of Rhea Ripley, I will be so furious. I won't be. We haven't we have we haven't had that match, have we? No, but I'd love to see it. (laughs) But Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair is the match right now. It's the I mean, I know people are going to say Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Charlotte, the number one match right now in WWE in terms of the women's division is Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley. I I disagree. I, I don't. You're not wrong, but I think for uh, WrestleMania, Charlotte is the easily the bigger star, and I think they they would they'd more likely is go she? away Bianca Charlotte. Yes, See, here's she the thing. is. Here's the thing about Charlotte Flair. Uh, Charlotte's the bigger name. It's the Flair name. Everyone respects it. Everyone knows it. Saying that Charlotte Flair, Rick Flair's daughter, is wrestling on WrestleMania is a really big deal. But Charlotte Flair is not some star. She's not a crossover talent. She's not um, draw. I wouldn't say that she's a draw necessarily where people are paying specifically to see her. You know who they're paying to see specifically? Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, and some of them now, Rhea Ripley. Also Sasha Banks, of course, you know, previously. You disagree? Okay. I mean, Rhea is doing great stuff. She's doing great. I'm loving this. People are Rhea not has a see her right growing, now. Growing, extremely large, like growing like fan well, base. Charlotte's like a 12 time champion. It's not just so her what? name. Like she's that's she's one of the most, She's the most accomplished women's wrestler in history, almost at this point. So <laughs> it's, that's just what it is. What does that matter? We're not talking about. The, we're not talking about it. We're talking about drawing power. Yeah, Bianca An versus Charlotte and would excitement. draw a lot more than 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 Bianca Ripley. Rhea has had twice. Had big WrestleMania moments that she has not capitalized. Okay, on first of all, that was under a different. First of all, that was under a different regime. She was not built up properly for those. You cannot compare Rhea Ripley three years ago to Rhea Ripley now. It's a completely different person. No, I'm just saying she hasn't gotten. She hasn't gotten to that point yet. That, that's but what I'm that's saying. That's where she, she is now. There. She's on the way. To Rhea get Ripley there, right now, in terms of the WWE Women's Division across both shows. Okay. The women who draw the greatest reactions from the crowd, babyface, heel, it doesn't matter, right now in WWE are Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, and Rhea Ripley. 
Yes, but Charlotte's been gone for months. That's for a part of the reason. So she, she comes back, she happened. does her same promo style, and people boo her. I was I over. was there for her match against. Uh, uh, I don't remember who it was, and she was flipping off the crowd and getting huge reactions. So do, do uh, not undersell what Charlotte King. I'm King not underselling her. She's <laughs> fantastic, and she's super important, and she has incredible name value. What I'm saying is, what is going to get current WWE fans more excited for WrestleMania is Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley not Bianca Belair versus Charlotte Flair. Now, if you want to talk about the casual audience and what might bring in viewers who are non-typical, when you say, oh, Flair is wrestling this champion who we're seeing a lot in the media, then I could buy that argument from you. That's totally fine. But in terms of the people who are watching the product, the 2 million people who watch Raw and SmackDown every single week, I guarantee you, if we took a poll, they want to see Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, a lot more than they want to see Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair. I agree, but that's not what WrestleMania is about. (laughs) Okay. I I think WrestleMania should be about putting the best possible matches that pop your fans on the card. Put put Charlotte Flair on the card. Put Charlotte Flair in a huge match on the card. Totally. Don't do this one. But you know what? Now that we're like, we're talking about it this way, I'm kind of thinking it through. They could do Rhea Ripley, Beth Phoenix, Charlotte Flair, and Bianca Belair. Fatal 4-Way? No, no, separate. Two separate matches. Oh, because they built the yeah, Rhea Ripley I, I, Beth Phoenix feud. I just, if it was me, yeah. I would do that feud at Royal Rumble. And then I would have right, Ripley beat Beth right. Phoenix and then become number one contender. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah, no, that, that can work. Okay. All right. Long Enough booking long. the damn territory and, and looking ahead. How many months is it now to WrestleMania? What, five? Uh, <laughs> let's, let's go back yeah. to Survivor Series War Games. Three matches left to break down. Let's go to the United States Championship. Seth Rollins defending against Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory in a triple threat. Get right into the match here. Lashley hit a flatliner and DDT combo on both other guys. Then he helicoptered Theory into Rollins. Theory used the steps on both guys. Rollins went on a run of topes that felt old school for him in the, in the best possible way. Lashley got Rollins in the hurt lock. Theory put him in a sleeper. Uh, Rollins caught Lashley with a pedigree for a false finish. Lashley avoided a Phoenix splash with Theory tossing Rollins outside and hitting a rolling blockbuster. Lashley countered A-Town down into Hurt Lock, but Theory countered in the corner for a pin attempt with Rollins flying out of nowhere during the pin attempt for a frog splash and false finish. Rollins escaped a Theory attempted pedigree. Lashley then locked both of them in a double Hurt Lock simultaneously, but got rammed backwards into the corner. Theory dodged a spear with Lashley flying into the corner. Rollins delivered forearms to both of them. Rollins then found them both on the ground in that, you know, crouched position. Rollins was going to stomp just Theory, but instead he jumped off his back for an extra leverage airborne stomp on Lashley. Then he picked up Theory and hit the superplex, and he went to go do the Falcon Arrow when Lashley speared Rollins in the midsection with Theory falling directly on top of Rollins for the 1-2-3 to win the United States Championship in 15 minutes. This was brilliant match planning and a great piece of booking. The match really picked up over like the latter two thirds. It did start pretty slow, but the finishing sequence from the Theory pedigree attempt onward was exceptional. Paying off Theory's failed cash-in with him getting a clean triple threat win over Rollins and Lashley accomplished way more than the cash-in would have if it had succeeded because this allowed Theory to change and develop his character in the interim between the two different matches. If this went five more minutes, it would have owned even harder than it already did. 
but it was great picking up a down crowd for the main event. This preceded the main event. It was in the second to last spot. I went 4.25 stars and an A. Some will probably grade this a little bit higher, but just because the finish was exceptional doesn't mean the rest of the match was. One other note I will make here, Seth Rollins is quickly becoming like the king of triple threat matches when it comes to like laying them out, putting really good stuff down and just making things work with all three guys simultaneously. And this was just another example of it. It wasn't necessarily the best triple threat of the year. There was an incredible one in NXT that certainly cannot be forgotten, but this was among the best triple threat matches of 2022. Yeah, this was a banger. This was awesome. I, I thought it'd be pretty good, but it's hard to do a good triple threat match. It's so often one guy versus one guy while the other guy is outside on the ring. And that's how it started off. But it made it very, there was just a lot of energy to it. And because it was not a super long match, I think that kind of added to it. Um, yeah, this this was fun. And the finish was awesome. The, the finish, when I saw the finish happen, and when I saw the kick happen, I'm sorry, the spear happen, in theory, land on top of him. I was like, oh man, that's it. That's the finish. They did it. <laughs> and then they count with the one, two, three. It's like that, that's a great way for theory to get the win mm-hmm. with, without, without looking like a chump necessarily more kind of, he lucked into a win, but also he kind of fought his way to get into that position anyway. Like, like this wasn't two guys just beating the crap out of him. And then he gets a lucky pin. Like he was no, as he much was a, a yeah. he was as much a threat to win in this match as the other guys were in, in exactly. this whole match. And it uh, continues to be a great step forward for him. Uh, I don't know if you you have the full quote or I something do. like that, but Triple H made I'll a comment about this in the press conference. And yeah, I'll just let you get to that. Sure. Well, I want to preface the comment by saying this. Just because we like the change, or I'm going to speak for myself and you can agree or disagree. Just because I like the change in theory character, just because I like that he won the championship in this spot, as opposed to the prior spot where Lashley cost it for him in the surprise cash-in. It doesn't mean I like that initial booking, the way it was handled and the thought process that went behind it. So again, we can praise you know future individual decisions and booking ideas and all that type of stuff, but it doesn't change the fact that there were numerous things wrong with that initial cash-in attempt. So before I read Triple H's quote, do you still agree with that? Agree. That's okay. A, we, we said that at the time we did. And I stand and by. We it also completely. said, yes, we said there were other ways to do it without making him look like a dummy. Correct. But we also said at the time that this doesn't mean he's getting buried. We made it and very that, clear that that was not the case. Correct. And that proved to be and, true. Yes. And that proved to be true. And Triple H was certainly feeling himself in the post-show press conference uh, as he was remarking about theory. He wanted to make sure he mentioned him as someone who did a great job on the show. He said, unfortunately for him, his career was dead two weeks ago. He's going to walk on water next, I think. It'll be good. So really a great shot to all the people saying theory was buried and, you know, this, this, and this were wrong with the entire thing. And again, I stand by the fact that they could have still done all of this stuff, changed his character, had him win the championship here, and they just could have booked what happened on that show better. I did find it interesting though, Chris, there's a little bit of parallel storytelling where Lashley cost Theory the United States Championship in that moment, and he actually won it for him in this moment here. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. Also, yeah, Triple H said he resurrected his career. He's comparing it to to Jesus there. And 
yeah, we, we've loved everything about the, the theory character ever since that <laughs> cash in that we didn't like for the Correct. reasons that we explained. So, yeah, the, you know, it feels like now this is a story that will continue. You know, Bobby mm-hmm. Lashley got the spear, theory got the win. And so that'll continue. I, I, I am surprised, but I, 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 I didn't hate the finish. I liked it. It was creative. It fits the theory character. Seth Rollins doesn't need to carry around the U.S. title so he can go off and do something else if he needs to. Uh, we both picked him to retain it. It seemed like it'd be weird to have a short reign, but mm-hmm. I've got no problem with the change there. And you can free him up now to go do just about anything. So well, that's the thing. Who knows where this is going at this point, right? Like the yeah. United States Championship, let's not forget, it is the top title on Raw right now. Roman Reigns is not losing one of those championships anytime soon. So now you have your top men's title on the show. Let's not forget, there's no tag team championship either. So the only men's championship that is like still on Raw uh, is that title. And it now belongs to, uh, I don't have his age in front of me, but what is he, 25 years old? This is still a neophyte in many ways, right? Who they are really banking on to be able to carry that title and be involved in major storylines because, you know, Bobby Lashley said he was going to continue to pursue it. Uh, Seth Rollins, he's not one of the three people that we mentioned who's heavily involved with Roman Reigns right now. Those are uh, clearly Kevin Owens, Sheamus, and certainly Drew McIntyre still is involved with him. Uh, Rollins has made quips about wanting to go after the Universal Championship or the, I'm sorry, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, but he's not really in a position to do it. And the guy that holds those titles isn't on his show. So I don't exactly know where this is going to go. Maybe this is a situation, Chris, where Theory is being used as a transitional champion to get the title back on Lashley sooner than later. I could certainly see that happening. But then again, as we've talked about with Lashley, he seems to be pegged for a rubber match with Brock Lesnar, whether that's at the Royal Rumble or at WrestleMania. So WrestleMania is still plenty of ways away. If they want to switch the title and have Theory drop it to Lashley around Christmas, they could certainly do that. Lashley could still drop the title and then still fight Lesnar without the championship on the line. But with all three of these guys, I, to me at least, it is not clear what direction any or all of them are going, whether it's still together or whether it's separate. Right. That's the issue when you don't have a world champion on Raw mm-hmm. is that you have all these talented guys and they have to do something. And, you know, it, it, we did, you know, we did Theory Lashley, we did theory Lashley in the summer. I It was OK. It felt like it went on a bit too long mm-hmm. and it didn't need to. That was a different theory character. Now Lashley's a heel, even though everyone's going to cheer for him. I, I, I don't know. I really have no idea where any of this is going to go. I just know that they put together a great match. Uh, at Survivor Series, and that was worth the time. They absolutely did. So let's go to what many would say is the exact opposite of that. The SmackDown Women's Championship, Ronda Rousey defending against Shotzi. Quickly on SmackDown, Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez were attacked by Rousey and Shayna Baszler backstage. The heels slammed Rodriguez's arm into a road case. Raquel screamed in pain, supposedly got rushed to the hospital. The crowd gave them major heel heat, and they laughed at Raquel and called Shotzi a coward. Rousey's eye makeup on SmackDown, by the way, was like more absurd than usual. I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. Uh, Shotzi came down to fight. the. They planned a, a tag team match with those four. Instead, she came down for a handicap match, and she ran really hot at the bell. Rousey gave her an armbar over the ropes. Raquel came down after a couple of minutes in a makeshift sling just to make sure Shotzi wasn't by herself. Rodriguez failed on multiple moves due to the arm. Rousey pulled it. Baszler stomped on it, etc. And then Rousey eventually won by tapping out Rodriguez 
via armbar submission in three minutes and 30 seconds. Rodriguez was later diagnosed with a possibly broken arm and dislocated elbow. So it seemed in that moment that they might be riding her out for a bit. They gave more information about that on War Games. I'll talk about it in a moment. Uh, but then uh, Shotzi said, it's not the first time she's ever been bullied, but Raquel Rodriguez was the first person to ever actually get her back. Then she promised to shock the world. This got really good heel heat on Rousey. It also got some good sympathy on Shotzi and Raquel from the Providence crowd. I thought that was a positive development in all phases, short and long term. And I could definitely see Rousey against Rodriguez as the Royal Rumble championship match. Yeah, I thought this did, this did a better job of getting the heel heat on Ronda as opposed to helping Shotzi. I'll get into more about that after the match we talk mm-hmm. about. But, you know, Ronda's doing a good job as a heel. You know, it's really the first time she's actually been a full on heel in the company. And I think she's doing a good job with it. And she seems to be having more fun with it. Right. She's not a tongue in cheek, sarcastic heel. She's like a piece of shit. Like, you know, this this version yeah. of the character is. All right. So let's get to what happened at Survivor Series War Games. Uh, so the match began. Baszler pushed Rousey out of the way at ringside. She ate a tope suicida for her. Ronda countered a flying crossbody for a side slam. Rousey was super aggressive, like talking shit during the match. She also did that on the kickoff show. They just kept laughing at Shotzi. Shotzi booted Rousey, uh, but the crowd didn't buy the importance of the move, even though commentary sold it really well. Then she bounced off the ropes outside for what was supposed to be a tornado DDT, but Rousey didn't let go of the ropes and she completely botched the sell of it. Shotzi took Shayna and Ronda out with a crossbody off the barricade into four fans who were planted in chairs at ringside. Rousey hit an <sighs> avalanche arm drag back in the ring, rolled into Piper's pit, hit the armbar and got the submission and title retention in seven minutes. So there was nothing wrong with this per se in terms of like the booking decision of Rousey beating Shotzi the way she beat her. And, you know, normally I would criticize a seven minute women's match on a show, except the men's singles matches and even the triple threat, they actually weren't that long. And really Shotzi shouldn't be going that long with Rousey. But the crowd did not give a shit about anything that happened in this match, even the pretty cool spot off the barricade, which was the highlight of the entire thing. And that's understandable because there was hardly any storyline for this match and Shotzi was never built as a strong challenger. The pacing was okay. There was a lot of action in a short period of time, but Ronda screwed up the biggest spot. There were other spots that completely failed and Shotzi never even had a sniff at a potential upset. And that was probably the worst part of the entire thing. I don't know what happened with Rousey, but she went from really damn good in the ring in 2018, 2019 to mediocre to terrible in this second run that she's doing. It really doesn't make any sense. And here you have Shotzi who's getting bullied. She's getting beaten up. She's dedicating the match to her two dead fathers. She lost a stepfather and a biological father in like the last calendar year. And she does all of that only to lose in seven minutes, never even having a chance to actually win the match. This wasn't a huge disappointment because I had no expectations going in, but this was really rough. There were even We Want Sasha chants at some point during the match that forced WWE to turn off the crowd microphones. It was a really poor part of the show, brought the entire thing down. It should have been the second match on the show coming out of women's war games. Instead, they did it third, which was the wrong thing to do. It was the one mistake Triple H really made 
on this card. I went two stars and a C minus. Yeah, I said beforehand, uh, this could be a great match or it could be a terrible match. It felt like there was a wide range of possibilities. It was definitely on the lower end of that spectrum. And my biggest issue with this whole thing is that the point of this should have been to make Shotzi into somebody worth paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And they didn't accomplish that. They did not give her much of a story. She wins the, she, she wins the number one contenders match like two or three weeks ago and then has to beat Shayna via roll up and then has that handicap match sort of on SmackDown. There was no, no story behind it. We didn't get to know much about her character. So there was there was no opportunity to get a groundswell of support of fans behind her. Mm-hmm. Then you have this match. It's not very long. And Shotzi never even gets into a position where she could win it. And that was incredibly disappointing. There was never an, oh, my God, Shotzi almost beat Ronda. Like, people didn't feel like they had a reason to pay, care about it going into it. And the match didn't give them a reason to care about care about her coming out of it. And that's, I think, a real disappointment. They Ronda has become a much better heel, as I said. That is good, mm-hmm. but you're only as good a heel as the baby face you're beating or tormenting. And they did not put Shotzi in that position uh, to do that, which I yeah. think hurts everybody. And that's just really disappointing. They kind of had a shot to do something there with a new person to get them in a spot. And they they didn't do it. I don't really put any of this on Shotzi either. This is this is the booking. Yeah, well, Shotzi's also like an all-or-nothing wrestler. Like, she's going to do some wild shit, and it's either going to work or it's not. So when you put someone like that against someone like Rousey, who, again, is just not wrestling anywhere near as well as she previously proved capable, then you're almost setting yourself up for a disaster. What I did find interesting is, remember all those people who were criticizing, like, the Ronda Rousey-Liv Morgan matches and the way Liv Morgan was booked? When you compare it to this, when you juxtapose it head to head with Shotzi, it's night and day. Okay, I know that, you know, we may have wanted a little bit more from Liv, but it was way better than what we just got with Shotzi. But look, this continues uh, something we've said for a long time. The women's booking across the board since Triple H has taken over has been a little bit rough. Some of that, I think, was at least on the raw side due to booking plans changing with Becky Lynch getting injured, them really stretching the Bianca Belair damage control storyline out because they wanted to do the War Games match. Now that that's over, I'm relatively confident that on the Raw side, things are going to get fixed. But on the SmackDown side, the roster is horrendous. There's no one who's right now a legitimate challenger for Ronda Rousey other than, you know, Liv Morgan if they wanted to run that back, which they should not. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez is going to be out four to six weeks in kayfabe slash reality, I'm sure that they're writing her off for a real reason. I don't know if it's actually the arm and the elbow, but she is going to be out of action for a, a month and a half, basically through the end of the year, probably, I would assume, making her return at the Royal Rumble or just before maybe to build the storyline with Ronda Rousey. But the SmackDown Women's Division is in a really, really bad way right now. And there is nothing like we've talked about the men's side getting a little bit stale on Raw and SmackDown, and they decided not to do the draft in November. My assumption is they're going to do it after WrestleMania. But the men on both shows are relatively fine. There's enough talent and enough diversity of talent where it's kind of working. I'm almost, I just kind of want them to just say, screw it. 
and just shuffle up the women's roster and just shrug and just say, hey, we, we changed people and that's how we did trades and that's what happened. Like, I don't even care if there's a kayfabe explanation. They got to fix the women's roster on SmackDown. It's really bad. Yeah, because it, it, if you want Ronda Rousey to get to where she needs to be, she has to have more credible opponents and she doesn't right now. And yeah, beating Emma isn't going to do shit for you. No, beating Emma, beating Natalia, beating mm-hmm. Shotzi. You know, we've done Liv Morgan enough times now. Like it, it's got to be she can't be just kind of treading water until the Royal Rumble unless she's taking a month off. I don't know. But I, I, I like where Ronda is. I like that she's a heel. I generally like the work she's doing. But if we still got four plus months until we get to WrestleMania and maybe doing it with Becky, we got to figure out what we're doing over this next month. And uh, and I don't know what that is. We'll see how much comes into uh, clarity. That's not the way I meant to term it. We'll see how much clearer the picture becomes uh, in the coming week on Raw and SmackDown. And and we can go from there and discuss it. Um, Not on Tuesday's show, but next Tuesday's show, because this Tuesday, we already have plenty to talk about from SmackDown, along with, of course, everything that goes down on Raw. We have one more match here at Survivor Series War Games. AJ Styles against Finn Balor. Both guys came out, made their entrances in different masks. Nine minutes into the match, The faction members uh, battled at ringside and then into the crowd. So that left one-on-one Balor and Styles. Balor hit all his signatures on Styles in a pretty dominant run that looked like it was going to be the end to a short match. Instead, Balor tried a Styles clash. AJ countered. They exchanged Pele kicks. Balor caught Styles with a gut buster and a fireman's carry neckbreaker over his knee. Styles flipped off the ropes for an inverted DDT. Balor dodged a 450 and caught Styles with a shotgun dropkick. Styles avoided the coup de grace with Balor selling an injured leg while locking him in the calf crusher. Styles did. Uh, Balor nearly tapped as Styles put extra torque on the move, but eventually the submission broke with Balor slamming AJ's head into the mat multiple times. Styles then went on a run and nailed a phenomenal forearm, jumping from the second ring into the main one for the clean victory in 19 minutes. Styles and Balor then jawed at each other after the bell, and so they're still clearly feuding there. This started slow with the teams like at ringside, but it really picked up once it actually went to one-on-one. The two things I did not expect were a clean finish and Styles beating Balor. The clean finish on its own was refreshing, but I don't understand why you would have Styles win here when Balor has been the one getting like consistently elevated and Styles has not won a major match on a premium live event in like three years, like what was the mm-hmm. upside of him winning? What really was the purpose of that? On top of all that, to get a clean finish in a match that never really hit a third gear left me wanting a lot more. I don't need finisher kick out spam, but a couple false finishes in there would have been really nice. You know what I mean? And there were a bunch of like new Japan callbacks to their old feud, but the WWE audience isn't going to pop for those. So this was very technically proficient. I just felt it suffered massively being placed after the women's war games match. What it should have been was women's war games, Rousey and Shotzi allow the crowd to do the bathroom break, bring things down. It was clearly going to be the worst match on the card. Then you bring them back up with this, the United States Championship and men's war games to end the show. Again, the only mistake Triple H made in terms of like the setup and really the booking of the entire show was the order of these ma- these two matches. It was a mistake, but this was very good. 
Um, I wish the crowd was more lively for it. I went four stars and an A minus. Yeah, it was fine. I didn't think it was great. It felt like these two, you know, they can do so much. Like the expectations for these guys is so high that that's why I kind of had my expectations coming in low to try to, to try to redo that. Like you said, AJ hasn't had a big win in forever. He's kind of just been hanging around for a few years now. You know he can be elevated to that top spot whenever he wants to. And, yeah, I was very surprised at a clean win for him. I mean, I guess this means the end of whatever this feud is, is the, the next step is the the Judgment Day winning a three-on-three, four-on-four, or whatever. Hopefully. But yeah. AJ didn't need a win here. Like, there's no reason to give Finn Balor this loss, I don't think. Like, I just... That really surprised me. I don't like know squeaky if- clean with a finisher and not a lot of buildup. Styles just went on a run and hit it, and like that ended the match. Like, yeah, like is AJ moving on to a, a Seth feud? He's not going for the. He's not going for the U.S. title. I just I don't. He didn't need this. He's AJ Styles, and I know Finn Balor's Finn Balor, but Finn Balor is a guy who has had to re kind of build his image for a while here and taking a loss like this for no for, for nothing to really be gained for right. AJ was surprising. All right, so Chris, that is our WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis, which means it is time to move to our grades for the entire show. Let's first set the stage with what our pre-show expectation grades were. You came in at a B+, I believe, for your pre-show expectation grade. I was a little bit more optimistic, if memory serves. I really did forget what I gave it, but I think I gave it an A- minus as a pre-show expectation grade. You did. Our listeners, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, our listeners in our pre-show poll, which I did post a little bit late, things were hectic today. Uh, 48.8% of the listeners came in at, at an A, 45.3% a B, 5.8% a C, and 0% a D or F. So I have this calculation I do now to figure out what exactly the listener uh, grade is, and it came out to a 3.927 out of five, which is just barely under an A minus. It is a flat or not a flat, but it is a very high B plus. So you guys were more aligned with Chris than you were with myself on the pre-show expectation grades. With that, I am stalling slightly so I can pull up the final results of our post-show grades. Chris, let's go with you first. What is your final grade for WWE Survivor Series War Games? I'll let you go. I'll say my own grade, and then I will read what our listeners, the Getting Overheads, had to say. I'm right where I was in the pre-show, I think. High B+, like 89 out of 100 type territory. It was fun, not too long. And you got a great moment at the end of the men's match. You got a great spot fest kind of in the women's match. Um, but the rest of it was kind of whatever. The the Shotzi Ronda match, the AJ Finn match, take it or leave it. The triple threat was, it was nice. It was fine. It was good. It was fun. to got a title change there. Um, but to me, five match card. No, you know, world title or, or, or tag team implications. I think this ends up kind of hitting where almost as good as it could have been to me, which was A minus B plus territory. There was no way a show like this could get to an A. And I think ultimately ended up being 
right there for me around that high B plus. Well, I think you're wrong that there's no way the show could have gotten to an A. I think with a better crowd, number one, uh, with a very good women's championship match instead of the one that we got, which I gave two stars and a C minus. I mean, I'm just going by my grade for the individual match. Uh, if, if you change those two items, then again, I don't know that your grades, you know, you didn't give match grades or ratings or anything like that. So I don't know that they would have been the same as mine, but I had, there were five matches on this card, Chris, and I had four matches that were between an A plus and an A minus, and then one that was a two star C minus. So if you're just going based on that, you know, yeah, in my opinion, this easily could have been an A show, not even a question about it. Um, and I got to say, you stuck with your B plus, which was your pre-show expectation grade. And I am very much sticking with my A minus, which was my pre-show expectation grade. I think both war games matches completely delivered in completely different ways. As you pointed out earlier in the show, the men's was storyline driven to the best possible degree. Yet there were still a number of really big spots in that match. The women's match, it did have plenty of storyline there. Don't get me wrong. The storylines were a little bit more individual in nature with competitors in the match kind of squaring off multiple times as we discussed. But there was the overarching storyline of damage control with Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss, not to mention them injuring uh, Becky Lynch and then her coming back for retribution on them. Sorry, uh, Mia Yim, I didn't mean to say retribution and give you flashbacks to any bad stuff just in case you happen to be listening. But the point overall, Chris, um, is that was more of a spot fest. There were just huge moves, really exciting moments. So we got two completely different War Games matches that both, in my opinion, completely delivered. And then you had, you know, what I didn't expect to necessarily be the match of the night, but the United States Championship probably got more of a reaction from the crowd than anything else on the entire show. They freaking loved it. And those guys put on an absolute banger. And then AJ Styles and Finn Balor, even if it wasn't the best match they could possibly put on, and you want to say, hey, maybe they slept walked through it a little bit, or maybe they left something on the table for future matches. It was still an A minus B plus match. It was great. The only negative on the show was a seven minute Ronda Rousey match. The show was over three hours and seven minutes of it weren't an A. So no, I am 100% in the A range. I am sticking with my A minus uh, very good show. I would even say it slightly exceeded my expectations. Now, in terms of what our listeners, the getting overheads, had to say, the final results of our poll are higher in every single, I would say, positive area, but also slightly in the negative area as well. 60.5% thought this show was an A. That's compared to 48.8% on the pre-show. 30.7% said it was a B. That was the shift from 45.3% on the pre-show, 6.5% C, that was about equal. And we had 2.3% of people saying D or F, which we know is absolute bullshit. So doing the calculations there, that rounds out to a 4.062, which is an A minus. So it just crossed the threshold, Chris, between your grade and my grade. So you got it right on the pre-show. I got it right, at least compared to what the listeners thought on the post-show. Either way, A minus, B plus, another WWE premium live event to close out 2022 that completely delivered. You know, that's the best way I can put it. Like when you have these shows, the point is not to leave angry, not to leave upset, not to really leave wanting more. 
And what WWE accomplished is it told some great stories and put on some great wrestling. And what's always the most important thing we always talk about, they make me want to watch the TV product. I am now very interested to see what happens this coming Monday on Raw and next Friday on SmackDown. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I think I gave Full Gear and this both a B plus, but they're two completely completely different, different shows. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just it's it, it, it's it really always is impossible to compare AEW and WWE pay per views, basically. But I, I just think kind of in the context of other shows we've gotten this year, and in in maybe the to me the relatively low ceiling this this had, I go with that that slight B plus. But it was a good show, you know. In the end, you like you know I. You know, I think my WrestleMania grades back in the spring were maybe boosted by the fact I was there in person. Mm-hmm. And I think probably this show and maybe Full Gear were uh, maybe cut back a little bit due to the fact that I'm also watching two college we're games at the same yeah, time. We're as, as show. Yeah, it's just absolutely. generally distracted because I got to do it for work. So we do it by far a the unique situation. Yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. And also, I've been in. Uh, Indianapolis with the wife's family this week. So it's, uh, it's just so much is, is, is going on, but look, it was a good show. You know, I don't know if we want to say any more about the, the press conference afterward, but triple H had some things to say about kind of the future. Let's, of war games if let's go, let's go ahead and save that for our Tuesday WWE show We're on that show. By the way, yeah. we'll break down everything else that happened on SmackDown that we did not cover tonight and plenty happened on SmackDown that had nothing to do with survivor series war games. And we'll also talk about everything that happens this coming Monday on raw, the first show after survivor series war games and additional notes from triple H's post-show press conference, which really were not specifically about this event. They were more just about the future of WWE premium live events. We'll cover them all on that show. I did want to double back really quick and just touch on something that you mentioned in your analysis a moment ago, which was it's almost impossible to compare WWE premium live events and AEW pay-per-views. And in that vein, it's also very difficult to compare matches from both companies. Now, certainly there's some, right? Um, If you're going to talk about a pure work rate match like uh, Walter Isla Dragunov, or I should say Gunther, I'm sorry, or Gunther Sheamus, right? And compare it to another great work rate match in AEW. You can do that and things can be pretty equal. But just as an example, okay, uh, we've done two instant analysis episodes. We've watched two pay-per-views premium live events, I think, what, in the last three weeks? And I gave two matches 4.75 stars. One of them was the six-man tag team match, the trios match, in AEW, which was Death Triangle against the Elite. And the other was the men's war games match here on WWE Survivor Series war games. Well, those are completely different matches. The AEW match was pure work rate. There was some storytelling elements in there as well, absolutely with the hammer. Um, But I would say it was almost the exact flipped situation here for WWE. The match was like pure storytelling with a couple really good technical aspects um, and, and work rate elements within it. Both to me, 4.75 star A plus matches, matches I will watch again, matches that completely entertained me, that were highlights of the shows, but they were drastically different. So when people get into this, you know, tribal aspect of one show is better than the other. I mean, look, if you have a preference and you just only care about flippy spots and work rate stuff, then AEW is probably your brand. If you like much, much more storytelling than WWE is your brand. But if you're someone like myself, probably like you as well, if I can speak for you, who likes both, 
aspects of professional wrestling. And sometimes you prefer one more and sometimes you prefer the other. And maybe that's based on a storyline or who's wrestling or the circumstances or whatever it might be. That's why we watch and enjoy both WWE and AEW. And I will say a show like this, Survivor Series War Games, it speaks to me a little bit more as a long-term wrestling fan now for decades than a show maybe like Full Gear, where it's just work rate, work rate, work rate, work rate. And yeah, there's storylines, of course, but it it's it doesn't hit you as emotionally as, for example, men's war games did. I had an emotional reaction to the end of that match that just for me took this show over the top. So this being an A minus, that being a B plus, it, it's splitting hairs. They were both great shows. Uh, both great ends for the individual companies for the main roster WWE and AEW to, to conclude 2022. And there's only one more premium live event remaining in this calendar year. That is NXT deadline on Saturday, unfortunately, December 10th, the same day as the Army Navy game, the same day as the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I cannot get away from uh, wrestling interfering with college football, but that is the next one. We will have an ultimate preview for that. We will have a live pre-show on Twitter Spaces for that, and we will have an instant analysis podcast for that. Chris, on the way out, is there anything else you want to say before I wrap things up and send the people home happy? No, I just hope we can get Survivor Series matches themselves back in the future. It would be great to get uh, traditional Survivor Series matches uh, at next year's show at a minimum. And, you know, who knows what the plan is for Judgment Day and the OC plus Mia Yim. Maybe they will do something like that on a future TV show or premium live event, we will find out. So let's go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Allow me to tell you what is coming up here on the show. As I mentioned, we will be back on Tuesday. Short turnaround with our next WWE episode. We're going to cover everything that happened on SmackDown, as well as the Raw after Survivor Series War Games. We'll then have another episode on Thursday, breaking down everything in the world of AEW and NXT, all that stuff I mentioned about deadline, NXT deadline, that is two weeks from now. So you're going to get the whole package, ultimate preview, pre-show, live on Twitter spaces, and the instant analysis, along with, of course, pre and post-show polls on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast, the exact same spot. You can listen to those live shows on Twitter spaces. Please, of course, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, because beyond all of that stuff, episode drops, you find them first on there. We tweet about wrestling news all week and tweet live during all the major shows. And I would be remiss if I ended any edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast without reminding you that this show is So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. And if you do, we will read it right here live on the show. Thank you all for joining myself, Vintage Chris Vanini, tonight for our WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis. For Chris, this is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.